we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12 today. So in the last few weeks, we've just seen the wonderful spread of the gospel through, through um, the early church. But today we, we, we discover once again that opposition is beginning to build. And throughout the book of Acts, we see this idea how witnessing and, and growth and then pers- church persecution just seem to go hand in hand. So as we, as we read the beginning of Acts chapter 12, I think it might be help for, helpful for us to have this image of a boxing match in our minds. So in the red corner, we've got Herod. He's weighing in as a heavyweight. He's got an entire army behind him, and he quickly lands the first punch. Let's read. We're in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each, Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So this guy Herod's happy to do whatever is necessary to raise his popularity ratings among the Jews. His full name, Herod Agrippa I, he's the grandson of Herod the Great, who ordered the Bethlehem children to be murdered around just after the birth of Jesus. He's also the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. So his family history is one of scheming, is one of murderous plotting. This is a very dangerous man. And Herod is now using the persecution of Christians to convince the Jews of his loyalty to them. In fact, he has even claimed to be a Jew himself, but only for selfish reasons. He felt that by keeping the Jews on side, well, it was the best way to keep peace in Jerusalem under Roman rule. But his his intentions here are very much political rather than spiritual. So when he sees the killing of one Christian leader that it seems to be very popular among the Jews, he plans to kill another one. Of course, it's easy enough for him to do. He's got the authority, he's got the soldiers, and he has the power to land those fatal punches. And if he gets this right, he can remove all the leaders from the early church and perhaps even wipe out the church. Remember? As we read the story, James has already been killed. So the outcome of this for Peter is not guaranteed. In fact, Peter's death, was, Peter's death is probably the most likely outcome if God does not intervene into the situation. And the church knows this. And they also know that Herod is after Peter. So the fight is on. Whether they like it or not, This fight is on. So how will they respond? Well, in the blue corner of this boxing ring, we have the church. 
Weighing in as a light, as, as, as a flyweight, it's, it's, it, at face value at least, they shouldn't have taken on this fight. It, it just seems to be absolutely hopeless situation. Verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So what's the church do? They earnestly pray. Now, there are many people looking on, maybe even reading this for the first time, and they're thinking, is that it? Really, that's what your plan is. You're just going to pray. But this was the turning point in the story. This is the case of the power of prayer against the power of the mightiest ruler on earth at that particular time. Luke is writing this in such a way as to set this up as these different forces opposing each other. We've got Herod in the red corner. We've got the church in the blue corner. And the tension is rising. Herod is planning to kill Peter. But by contrast, the church is praying. And this spiritual fight, this boxing match, is a reminder to all of us of the power of earnest prayer. And we see time and again in Scripture and then throughout church history that when the church is found to be faithful, it is found to be praying. And this church prayed fervently. So what do we do in times of trouble? Do we try to fix the situation? Do we moan and grumble or do we blame someone else? Or maybe even become critical of others who are just having an easier time than we are? Or when life's full of happiness, do we just get on and enjoy it and then God doesn't get much of a look in? See, when we live like this, we live like atheists because that's what we're doing. In the book of James, James describes how we should respond. In James chapter 5, verse 13, he says, If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. If anyone's happy, let them sing songs of praise. And as Christians, we are called to relate very differently in times of suffering and cheerfulness. See, an atheist lives in a world without God. A Christian lives in a life in relationship to God. So listen, we, we need to live our lives in every season, in every emotion, in relationship to Jesus, never alone, finding our joy, finding our pleasure, finding everything in him. We've heard already, have we not? This should be such an encouragement to you as a Christian. In every situation, Jesus is with you. But I don't think that we fully appreciate how integral part a prayer, how much of an integral part prayer plays in all of this relationship. So your natural default response in every single situation should be to turn to Jesus in prayer before anything else. Exactly like this early church does. In the good times, pray. In the bad times, pray. So how do we pray? Well, a good place to start is by asking God for the wisdom that you need to understand the situation and then use that to give glory and to give honor to him. So again, back in James chapter 1 verse 5, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, 
you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So don't just moan and complain. Ask God. God, give me the wisdom to know what you're doing in the situation. Lord, what's your will? What's your purpose in all of this, in this thing that I'm facing? But also, we should be praying that God would bring deliverance, God would bring his blessing if that is according to his will. Later on, again, in James chapter 3 and verse 2, we read these words, quite sobering words. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And real things happen in answer to prayer that will not happen if we don't pray. And listen, we need to ask God. We come to him and we ask. We ask for the breakthrough in times of trouble. We expect God to answer us in one of two ways. Either God can, in fact, God does turn troubles into triumphs. We can see miraculous breakthroughs in the most impossible situations. Or there are also times when God answers prayer by giving you more grace to turn your weakness into strength so that you can endure the trial and use them to accomplish God's perfect will in all situations. However, pray. And this, this is what can happen through prayer. I'm going to read the outcome of this story very slowly so that we can hopefully begin to sort of get the picture in our minds of what's happening here as these events unfold. So this is Acts chapter 12, verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there's this bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And then the chains fall off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard post and then came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through. They started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally comes to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. You see, Herod's plans, even Herod's guards, mean nothing to God. God does as he pleases, and now he pleases to rescue Peter. And Peter knows he's due to be executed the next morning, yet somehow he's asleep. 
He's at peace. In fact, he's at peace at what, with whatever God's sovereign plan is for him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm chained between two Roman soldiers, if I know I'm going to be executed the next morning, I'm not sleeping. Definitely not sleeping. But Peter was sound asleep. In fact, the angel had to strike him on his side, having been given a good dig in the ribs just to waken him up. That's how deep asleep he's in. So what gives Peter such confidence and such peace? Well, to begin with, he already knows that many Christians are praying for him. In fact, they're praying night and day, and that's significant. We'll come back to that in a moment. But perhaps the main cause of Peter's peace was the knowledge that Herod could not kill him. See, Jesus had promised Peter that he would live to be an old man and even hinted how he would end his life crucified on a Roman cross. In John chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, we read what Jesus said. This is after Jesus has denied I'm sorry, Peter has denied Jesus and Jesus restores him. He tells him three times, feed my sheep. Verse 18, we read, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And Peter, still a relatively young man, simply holds on to the promise. He, is, he commits this entire situation over to the Lord. And listen, God gives him peace. God gives him rest. He, he doesn't know when or he doesn't even know how God is going to deliver him, but he knows that God's deliverance is definitely going to come because of the promises of Jesus. Listen, as we read God's word, as we spend time in scriptures, we, we just digest the promises that come to us through God's word, we can find his peace, his rest in our lives, even in the most difficult of situations. But listen, this does not negate his surprise. A surprise that I can only begin to imagine. Instead of being violently wakened by a guard and then led off to death, he's awakened by a bright light, a messenger from the Lord who immediately loses him off the chains. Peter's in a bit of a daze. He's sort of wondering if this whole thing's just a vision, a bit like the rooftop experience on Joppa. But he walks past the guards up to some heavy iron gates which just miraculously open all by themselves, the first automatic gates way ahead of their time. And God is powerful to save. So that even the strongest bars are no hindrance when the Lord has other plans for his people. And there may be hopeless situations that you know of, and maybe even situations that surround you in this particular moment in your life, but you can turn to God in prayer and know that he is able to change things even if you don't know how on earth it would even be possible. Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher, said... The angel fetched Peter out of the prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. 
But ultimately, God alone can do the extraordinary. But his people must be prepared to obey and to do the ordinary in obedience to God. And you must always begin with prayer in obedience to Jesus. And realize that we need to be persistently praying. And this idea of persistent prayer, we see it throughout Scripture. In fact, Jesus told a story, a parable in Luke chapter 11 to illustrate how we are supposed to come to God. He says this, then Jesus said to them, suppose you've got a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine's on a journey and has come to me, but I've got no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And this is a challenging story. Because most of us would never behave like this. I would never have dreamed to go to your house and be past midnight. You're fast asleep in bed. I'm knocking at your door and I'm asking you for some food. It's just not acceptable behavior. But then to persist, to just to, after I've been told to go away, is just downright rude. This man shamelessly broke all of the social rules. He persisted until he got what he needed. And most of us would never behave in such a way. However, when it comes to prayer, God does not just condone this. He encourages it. He wants you to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. In the Old Testament, there's another story about a guy called Elijah. Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal. Again, some of you may know it. They're standing on top of a mountain, Mount Carmel, and they're there to answer the question, who is following the one true God? And the prophets of Baal, they work themselves into this absolute frenzy. They cut themselves with knives, and yet nothing happens. Elijah prays, just once from heaven, sorry, prays just once, and then fire falls from heaven. But listen, Elijah doesn't build a theology on that moment. Because later on in the story, he's praying for rain. In fact, he's praying, he has to pray seven times before the servant sees, sees a cloud the size of a man's hand. Listen, if his theology was built on just instant answers to prayer, he would never, ever have seen rain fall. Listen, you need to go beyond any restraints that you may have. You are to be shameless in your persistence in asking for prayer. You're to cling to God in your prayers and not to give up until you, receive, you see the results, whether you feel it or feel like it or not. Pray and keep on praying. Cry out to God, shake heaven itself until you see a response to your prayers. But remember, your diligence, your persistence is not to wake God up or to beg God or to negotiate with him or to try and convince him. Listen, he is already convinced to help, to bless, to save. This is his character. 
He is trying to waken you up to convince you. That's why sometimes he holds back answers to prayer to see how much you will rely on him. So Peter's out of prison. He's sort of wandering around the streets, doesn't quite know what to do with himself at the moment. And and, and the church, they've been persistent, they've been earnest in prayer. They've even had the answer. They don't know it yet, of course. So verse 12, it says, So Peter went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overcome that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be an angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned to them to quieten down. He told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. And listen, this is a a divine comedy. It's it's quite hilarious what goes on here. Poor Peter, stuck outside, probably looking over his shoulder, wondering whether he's going to need another divine rescue very soon. But the strangest thing of all, of course, is the reaction of the church. Rhoda forgets to open the door. The very people who've been praying for Peter's rescue don't believe that their prayers have been answered. And sometimes we need to be honest with ourselves and with others. Because this paradox of praying faithfully but not really believing that our prayers will be answered is one that afflicts all of us. Just as it did the early church. See, even the most fervent prayer meetings, there can sometimes be a spirit of doubt and unbelief. And very often we can identify with the father who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9 who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And God graciously honors even the weakest of faith. Yet how much more would he do if only we would fully trust him? So as you pray to the Lord who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ever ask or imagine, You also need to be wise, not only to ask, but to keep watch for the answers to your prayers because prayer answered today will drive you to your knees for tomorrow. And too often Christians do not pray because they functionally believe that their prayers make no difference. But listen, as you watch out for answers to prayer, you will be able to reject that lie. You will also be able to do what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You see, the direct result of seeing answered prayer is more prayer. But also, we will pray with boldness and with more thankfulness, and we will know that God is powerful and active in answering prayer. And even when we're asking him to do far beyond anything that we could ever imagine, we still pray. So how then should we pray? Well, we've seen the importance of earnest prayer. We've seen the importance of persistence in prayer. 
But we need to also pray powerful, specific prayers. In Mark chapter 10, we read the story of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus heading off into Jericho and Bart, as was his friends called him, heard that Jesus was coming, so he began to yell at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And everybody around him tells him to shut up. In fact, he's just disrupting the dignity of the place. However, and we makes him shout louder and even more often, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Finally, Jesus walks over to him and asks him a very strange question. What do you want me to do for you? And listen, Jesus loves it when we are persistent, when we refuse to let go. So when we don't see an immediate answer, he wants us to press in and to keep on praying. He also wants us to be specific when we pray. And Jesus is still asking the same question today. What do you want me to do for you? So when we pray, Lord bless my church, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? You need to pray specifically and in detail, not vague religious prayers that don't tell God what you want. You need to be specific in order that God would bring about specific answers to your prayers. So even when you don't know the details of the situation, begin to pray as specifically as you possibly can. And every Christian should pray with boldness, with expectancy, knowing that God answers prayer. So we need to give God no rest until our prayers have been answered. Learn to pursue God relentlessly with a shameless determination until God responds. And I want you to become totally convinced that God moves and answers prayer. After all, that's what the Bible teaches. Remember back in James, you don't have because you don't ask. Or as Jesus taught in the parables, or even what we've learned here from Acts chapter 12, but it's also the story of church history. John Wesley wrote that God does nothing but in answer to prayer. And if we truly believe this, you will pray. And you will see the hand of God move. You will see lives transformed around you. In fact, your own life will be radically changed. And prayer, well, prayer will become the most exciting part of your life. Listen, we will see our society change for the glory of God. And you will become an effective prayer warrior. But most importantly, above everything else, God gets the glory. So as we've been exploring this story, I hope you fully understand that the powers of this world is nothing compared to God. So we pray. We don't know what happened to Peter after all of this, after that, after that meeting finished. In fact, nobody knows to this day. It certainly was a well-kept secret. Except for a brief appearance in Acts chapter 15, Peter walks off the pages of the book of Acts to make room for Paul and the story of his ministry to the Gentiles. We'll come to that in weeks to come. But we can't finish this story without, I think, just simply acknowledging the fact that there are so many Christians around the world today who are in prison, who are facing persecution, and even death, just like Peter was. And we need 
to be praying for them just as we would want them to be praying for us. Pray that God would give them grace to bear their suffering so that they might have a triumphant witness for Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to minister the word of God to them and to bring it to the remembrance in, their, in times of greatest need. Ask God would protect his own and give them wisdom for every single day. Pray that if it is his will, they would be delivered from bondage and from suffering and be united with their families and with their friends once again. My friends, we need to pray. Let's just stand together. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that there is power in fervent, effective, specific prayer. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the one who hears and you answer our prayers. And Father, we do want to just stand here as your body of people here in this part of Chester. We want to just ask, Lord, for those, many of them, most of them unknown to us who are suffering at this time in countries, where they're under persecution, where they're under watch, where many are even in prison. Lord, we want to pray, God, your hand upon them, your protection over them. Father, we want to pray for deliverance for them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, may our hearts be joined with them in unity. Lord, may we stand with them in prayer. May we seek you on behalf of them. Lord, we pray blessing over them and upon them. And Father, for your people here today, Lord, as we face our own little challenges, um, Lord, that you would just minister your peace and your love and your joy into our hearts. By your Spirit, we pray. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Lord, all that's been shared this morning, Lord, there's much for us to ponder and to take in. And Lord, we just pray now. Lord, just may it be applied to our hearts. Lord, may what's from you just, just really hit into our hearts. May it fill our minds. May we be able to dwell on it and grow through it. Lord, for stuff that's not from you, Father, we pray we just fall to the ground and be gone. But Lord, we say, may you get the glory. May you get the honor in our lives, in our families, and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.